I, I am convinced that one of the um, things that we crave in our lives as human beings is a sense of identity. Um, in fact, I think if you look across kind of the scope of our own lives, you could probably see moments or times where you have tried to inform that sense of identity in different ways and finding places of belongings. We just were designed, we're, we're wired in such a way that we want to be able to answer the question, who am I and, and, and where do I belong? In fact, I think one of, the, one of the things that's really interesting to me is, is identity is one of those themes that runs that you can trace throughout the whole scope of Scripture, the, across the whole story. So we can think about creation, we can think about this community that, that humanity experienced in the presence of God, we can think about the words that were spoken about man and woman in creation and how that informed their identity and then how that all got messed up when sin entered the picture and our, our sense of identity as it relates to who we are with God is broken and really this, the rest of scripture tells the story of God's intervening work, his restorative and, and redeeming work for us to re-enter into that identity and how that ultimately is, is going to be fulfilled in eternity. In presence with him, we're going to return to what we experienced, what humanity experienced in the garden, this uninhibited relationship with God. It's, it's who we were designed to be. We, we look for, because identity is, is so important in our hearts and our lives, we as humanity, as human beings, we, we create identity markers. We create things that help us understand our identity. Uh, just this last Thanksgiving, I had the opportunity um, to speak at my grandfather, my 95-year-old grandfather's funeral service, his memorial service. And um, of course, we were, as a family, grieving. We missed him and his presence, and yet we were celebrating his life. He was, he was as I said, 95 years old. He was, his family loved him. Um, we knew he loved us, and there was a lot of history, and, and, and so all of those stories, as I was thinking about what I was going to say in his service, and you think about all these stories that you have as a kid, I realized that so many of the traditions and so many of the things that we did as a family informed and helped me understand what it means to be a more, right? What it means. So those family vacations, when we gathered together, aunts and uncles and cousins in, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, every summer, those things helped me understand what does it mean to be a part of this community. And, and New Year's Eve at Grandma's house, followed by uh, New Year's Day, which, which for every, every January 1st of my life up to this last one, started in my grandma's house with fondue and football. And it was fantastic. Um, we loved it. it. It was just like this place you knew you belonged, right, at that table. Um, when, when grandpa was kind of a teenage years, it was a little bit of a rite of passage when he took you to your first trip up to Columbus, Ohio for an Ohio state game, just you and him took you out to eat, went to the football game. It was, it was, this is what it means to be a part of this family. It helped us understand who we are and where we belong. And we do this here as well. I hope, we try to, we do things like saying, hey, let's push all the chairs to the side, let's set up tables, let's eat together, because this is, this is supposed to be a place where you feel 
um, a sense of being known and belonging. And whether you've been here from the day that we opened this campus or if this is your very first Sunday here, we want that to be true for you. We create identity markers. In just a few weeks, um, we are going to remember the Lord's sacrifice during our Holy Week communion service. That for me is, is one of the essential identity markers in my um, faith experience. When we gather together as a church where we remember Christ and his sacrifice, where we come to the table and we're able to um, receive the elements and to hear those words, this is my body given for you, this is my blood shed for you. I, that service is always, for me, a, a, a highlight. I love to serve at that service, but I also love to be there with my family because it, it informs not only to me, but to my, my daughters, my wife, like who we are in Christ. Um, and that image is always powerful for me. And I think it's no mistake that when we talk about communion, when we talk about what we remember there, we talk about how that informs our identity, we refer to it as the Lord's table, right? You're coming to the Lord's table. We're engaged in an act in that moment. We're participating in something that informs a shared identity and a shared belonging. We, we are the people of a covenant promise that's been made through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So the table for followers of Jesus is an identity marker. It helps us understand who we are. If you're one of the disciples of Jesus, you've been following him now. You grew up in a Jewish home, learning the traditions, the markers of what it means to be a part of the family of God. One of the fundamental um, traditions that defined their collective sense of identity was the celebration of Passover. This is the, the context now that Jesus is in with his followers just prior to his betrayal, um, ultimately to that mockery of a trial, to his brutal beating, and, and, and finally his crucifixion. They're there in Jerusalem during Passover. And because it's Passover, the, the streets of Jerusalem at this point in time are just teeming with people. Jewish men and women and children have gathered together in Jerusalem in order to celebrate God's redemptive promise to his people. So despite the fact that they are living in occupied territory under Roman occupation, the people of God, the people of Israel gather together to be reminded that it's their God, Yahweh, is the God who redeems. He redeemed them out of slavery before and he can do it again. And so this is the environment that the disciples and Jesus are in as we enter into this text today in Mark 14. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there together. And before we read this, I just want to pause and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts and minds to his word this morning. Father, we do just come uh, recognizing, acknowledging um, that you ultimately form our identity. And so, Jesus, as we enter into this story again about how you have redeemed your people, would you remind us that we are the people of a covenant promise? Help us to understand how the story of Passover informed and shaped what you were going to do on the cross, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. This is Mark 14, 
Um, if, you, if you're new with us, we've been in Mark now for a while, and we're, we're, we're really coming into the last kind of few days of Jesus' life here, and then ultimately his, his death, and we're picking it up um, in verse 12. I'm actually going to jump back a couple verses. This won't be on the screen, but I, I read these last week, but it just kind of gives context to what's going on. So just prior to this, Mary has anointed Jesus and poured out this ointment over him, if you remember, and and then Judas goes out, and this is verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now in verse 12, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city. A man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went into the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. So the context that, that Jesus is gathering with his disciples, that they coming into this meal is the context of, of Passover. And so for this text, we commonly refer to in, as the Last Supper. And in order for us to understand the Last Supper, we have to enter into redemption's story. We, we have to understand and think about the story that Jesus and the disciples were living in in this moment. I am, I'm personally something of a, an experiential learner. Like I can, I can do okay when somebody explains something to me and, and seeing it is obviously helps, but I, I'm most going to grasp it. I'm most going to be able to comprehend it when I personally experience it for myself. So when I was a, a high school student, I was starting to get into like higher level math, which I, higher level math for me was like medium level math. And, but my dad, my dad is an engineer, a math nerd. My oldest daughter is a math major in college, but it totally skipped a generation. So I was like hitting my limit. And I would come home from trigonometry and I would say, man, dad, like, I don't, I am not understanding this. My dad was many things, many great things. A teacher, he was not. And, and so he would say, well, let me see it. And, and he would look down and he'd say, well, you just do this. And he would start kind of writing stuff out. And I would be like, okay, I'm not sure I get it. And he's like, well, let me show you this one. Pretty soon my homework's just done, right? Like, I was like, that looks great, dad. I think you did a great job. And I was killing it on my homework. <laughs> Tests came, not so much. Like I failed like those big time because I, I didn't understand it. I could watch him do it and I could see it happening in front of me, but I didn't experience it. See, the celebration of Passover, for generation after generation of Jewish families, it was designed for them to know the story of God's delivery, to understand how he led his people out of slavery in Egypt, and for them to enter into it. It was designed for them to experience it. And there's two things that I just want to uh, uh, consider here, two observations that I think are important for us to think about. First, we have to wrap our head around the story that they were celebrating. We have to think about the story that, that they were remembering. 
In order to grasp what Jesus is saying during this Passover meal, we have to think about what it commemorated. We have to think about what what they as a people, the promise that God spoke to them when they were slaves in Egypt. In fact, if you turn to Exodus chapter 6, I just want us to hear this together. This is Exodus chapter 6, and and God is speaking to Moses, and Moses has been sent to be God's representative in Egypt to leave the people of Israel out of of their bondage. This is the promise that that he speaks. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, he's talking to Moses now, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I'll take you as my own people, and I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord, your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God is saying, Moses, tell the people these promises. I am going to be their redeemer. I'm I'm going to be the one who frees them from the yoke of of their bondage. If you know the story, um, you know that the family of God has, has come to reside in Egypt when Joseph, the son of Jacob, was actually sold into Egypt as a slave himself through a series of just acts of of sheer character and God's faithfulness in the midst of it, he actually accelerates to becoming the second in command in all of Egypt. It's an extraordinary story. But at that point in time, when the family has settled there and they start to grow, Joseph eventually passes away. And when Joseph passes away, the Pharaoh that knew him and that loved him and that had given him this place of authority also passed away. All of a sudden now, this family that was once in a place where they were known and respected soon becomes to be seen as a threat, as an enemy. In fact, if you look at just the beginning of how Exodus starts, there's a new Pharaoh that that comes into rule and Um, in Egypt, this is in chapter 1, verse 8. It gives us some context here. It says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So this place of, of that had been a place of provision, right? The family came to meet Joseph during a famine when they feared starving to death. That's how they're actually reunited. They, they come to Egypt because that's their only option. And when they get there, they find the brother that they had betrayed and sold into slavery. And now he is in second in command in all of Egypt. There's this beautiful scene of forgiveness and God's grace and the family is restored and they're planted here and they begin to grow. And yet they begin to grow to the point where where now they're viewed as a threat. God's people are in bondage. And yet his promise to Abraham is still intact. God's promise that they would be a people and that he would lead them to the promised land still holds true. So ultimately, God calls Moses to be his representative to go to Egypt and to lead his people out of slavery and into the promise. But you might remember that 
Pharaoh is resistant, to say the least. He does not heed Moses' warnings, and so God says, I'm going to send this series of escalating plagues across the land. And they are going to experience divine justice and divine judgment for the oppression that they have enacted on my people. And it's going to escalate to a devastating fashion. So there's going to be one final plague. And he says, in every home throughout all of Egypt, the firstborn of every family, the firstborn son of every family is going to die. And there's only one exception. God said, I'm going to provide a way for you to fall under my protection, for you to be saved. And so they instructed the Israelite families in Egypt, if you want to, if you want to get out from under this judgment that is coming, you need to offer up a sacrificial lamb. And we don't, this doesn't resonate with us because we don't live in an ancient Near East culture. But in, in, to them, it's, this made perfect sense. But you, you took the sacrificial lamb and you took the blood of that lamb and you painted the doorpost of it. And as judgment came across the land, your house would be passed over because of the blood of the lamb. It was the sacrifice. Timothy Keller in his commentary on, on the gospel of Mark says this, he says, when justice came down, either it fell on your family or you took shelter under the substitute, under the blood of the lamb. If you did accept this shelter, then death passed over you and you were saved, and that is why it was called Passover. You were saved only on the basis of faith in a substitutionary sacrifice. So this is what Jesus and his disciples are gathering to remember and celebrate. Every year, from that point forward, the family of God shared a meal together that recalled God's promises and his provision. And at the center of that meal was the Passover lamb. Every year they celebrated a, a meal that would remind them that we are the people who were freed from bondage and saved from the wrath of God through the means of a substitutionary sacrifice. And now Jesus gathers with his disciples here in this moment and the meal is set before them. This is the story that they're entering into, that they're experiencing again. But I also want, there's a second thing I want to just briefly point out here, and that is this continued theme of preparation. In fact, that word itself repeated, was repeated multiple times throughout the verses that we read. And there's two, two perspectives that we gain as we read this. There's that of the disciples and, and that of Jesus. From the disciples' perspective, this human perspective, this all has to feel a bit chaotic. Like just like when, when Mary, just a few verses earlier, offered this extravagant gift over Jesus, she poured out this very expensive, very costly perfume. And some of the disciples looked at this and said, it's irresponsible and it's unnecessary. That's, that makes sense from a human perspective. But Jesus knew in that moment that he was being anointed for his burial preparation. Now here, Jesus gives these instructions to his disciples, and he says, I want you to go into the city, and when you go into the city, you're going to find a man carrying a jar of water, and follow that guy. And when you follow him, watch to see what house he goes into, and whatever house he goes into, find the owner of the home and say to him, hey, where's the upper room that's prepared for, for Jesus and his disciples? Like, I don't know like, if that is... 
Like from maybe the disciples are used to Jesus doing this sort of thing at this point, but for us, we would just look at that and say like this, this is unlike any Passover preparation that they have ever been a part of their entire life. But then we see this, this other perspective, the perspective of Jesus and the perspective of the Father. God is acting divinely. He's organizing these events and they're happening according to his saving plan. Again, all the way back from that anointing a few verses earlier to this point here where, where they're being led to this gathering place, God is preparing the lamb. The substitutionary sacrifice is being readied. They, they came together to celebrate a meal that they knew, a meal that told them the story of, of God's redeeming love for them. And now he's doing it again. He's, he's once again going to make a covenant with his people, and this covenant is going to be for everyone. And it's going to come, once again, through the sacrifice of a lamb, and yet this time it is the lamb of God himself. But as the story continues, one of the things that stands out to me, so there's, there's redemption story that we're looking at, but then there's also redemption scope. Or you might think of this as redemption's reach, how far it's willing to go. We, we exist in, in the context of, of an understanding that says, this is what's reasonable to give in this relationship, right? If it's, if it's like a casual friend, I can do this for this person, right? Then there's like the friends that you ask when you need help moving, right? That's a whole nother level of friendship circle. And if you're not in that friendship circle and somebody asks you to help move, you're kind of like, oh, bro, like that's a lot, right? Like, you're asking too much. I, 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 don't, I was thinking of this, this is weird, I'm gonna acknowledge that at the outset, but you know that song by Meatloaf that, from like the 80s? Um, it might have been the 90s. Anyways, he said, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that, right? Which by the way, if you look at the lyrics of the song, it's very unclear what he won't do. It's, it's like, we all wonder this. What, what, is, what is the scope? What is the reach to which somebody is reasonably willing to go in, on our behalf? What's reasonable to be asked of me? But we, we internalize that and say, well, certainly nobody would be willing to do this for me. Look at what unfolds next here. Right in the middle of this Passover meal. This is verse 17 now. It says, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And they were reclining at table and eating. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? And he said to him, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written to him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So it's, I'm, not, I'm not certain why this struck me so profoundly in this reading of and preparing for this sermon. And yet the, this, the power and the pain of this backdrop of, of betrayal in the midst of this Passover meal, in the midst of this redemptive sacrificial preparation seemed to reveal just the nature and scope of God's love the nature, the reach of what Jesus is going to do here. And it also seems, by the way, I think to counter a, a, 
a lie that I can be prone to believe when I think about how I relate to God, a mistake that I oftentimes make, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But place yourself here in this moment, if you can. The disciples are sharing in this deeply sacred meal with Jesus. Passover is the defining celebration of of their childhood, of what it means to be a part of the people of God. They've participated in it their entire life. And Jesus disrupts the meal in that moment. And he said, I want you to know that there's somebody sitting at the table, somebody here with us now who is going to betray me. And they all just begin to wonder, what would you do in that moment? Verse 19, it says, they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? The disciples began to look around at each other and ask themselves the question, am I the one? Am I the one who's going to do this horrible thing that Jesus has told us is going to happen? With the exception of of Peter, perhaps, who seems very confident in in his capability of of even falling away at all or or not falling away at all. Every single one of them is is forced to consider the possibility that, that it's them. They're all wrestling with this question, is it? Could it be me? And it, it, to me, it seems to reveal that if they least thought that it was possible for them, that they might be the one to do this horrible thing. And while we have the, the advantage of knowing that it's Judas who is ultimately going to be betraying Jesus, Jesus goes on to tell them that they're all going to fall away. At one point or another, they're all going to fall away. In fact, if you look down just a couple verses in And uh, towards the end, they've shared this meal together. This is picking it up in verse 26. They finish uh, celebrating Passover, and it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. But we know the rest of the story. We know what happens after that. See, the the power of the promise that Jesus is going to speak to his disciples, what what he's going to say during this Passover meal, it has to be viewed through the lens of who's sitting at the table and what he knows they're going to do. There's one sitting there who's going to betray him into the hands of, of the Sadducees and the Pharisees to be brought before the Sanhedrin and ultimately before Pontius Pilate. And there's 11 others who are going to abandon him. And yet it's to that group of people that Jesus is going to say these words. Do you ever, like I do, wrestle with feeling disqualified, unworthy, 
Do you ever, do you ever allow sin to, to define you to that, to become your identity? Do you ever wonder to yourself, am I outside the scope, outside the reach of God's willingness to redeem and restore, or at least to, to use in a meaningful way? Do you ever wrestle with that? Here's a group of people. They had committed themselves to following Jesus. They, they had left everything that they knew in order to do that, and yet every single one of them is wrestling with the question, is it I? Could, could that be true of me? And without exception, every single one of them is going to fall away in the most critical moment. And yet it is to this group of people that Jesus is going to speak redemption's promise. And this is the third thing that we have to see here. Redemption's promise. I was talking earlier about those family things that, that shaped and helped form markers and identity in my life as a, as a kid. And I remember thinking... Um, about gathering in my grandparents' home when I was a kid for Christmas. And um, when my cousins and my brothers and I, when we would all rush in and you do what every kid does at that stage of life, you, you run to the tree and you look to find the present with your name on it. And it was inevitably you would look for the biggest possible box. Because in your mind as a kid, that meant like this is the best gift, right? And you would open up and look at that name tag and see whose name was on it and just the sheer joy, right? When you saw your name on that gift and like the clout you had with your cousins and your brothers to be like, this one's for me, right? See, in Mark 14, Jesus continues on in this Passover meal. Verse 22 says, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. That, that last line there, that last phrase is... is um, it's like an ancient Near East method of making a promise, a covenant. I, I, I'm not going to eat or drink until this thing happens. Jesus is, is saying that to his disciples in context of what he just said about his, his blood and his body. Now Jesus takes an event, this celebration of Passover that's been, that has been celebrated and has informed their understanding of what Yahweh has done for them, how they as a people of God could relate to him. And Jesus says it's all been leading to one thing. It's all been taking us one place. It's all been pointing to him, to, to me, Jesus says. He says all the earlier deliverances, all the, the, the previous sacrifices, all the covenant promises, all the lambs that you have celebrated over at every Passover your entire life, it's all been leading to this moment and to this promise. And so instead of holding up bread and, and talking about the bread of affliction that their forefathers ate in the wilderness, Jesus held up bread and he said, this is my body. And instead of taking the cup and, and talking about the the promise, the covenant to deliver his people out of Egypt. He said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. When John the Baptist 
saw Jesus at his baptism. As he approached, John simply said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, John saw then what is happening now is that Jesus is, is, came to be for us our Passover lamb. Jesus came to be the one who would be the substitutionary sacrifice. And, and what I want you to hear and understand in the context of everything that's unfolding is that this is for you, is that your name is written on this gift. Luke's gospel, when he records Jesus celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples and talks about how all of this has been leading, been pointing to what he's going to accomplish and what he's going to do on the cross. He instructs his disciples, he says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, every time that you share this meal, remember what I'm telling you here. So this morning, I wanna just lead us to come to the Lord's table. I wanna take time to, to think and prepare our, our hearts and so, I've, um, we've created these response cards and I just intend this to be something for your own sake. I'm gonna give you a little bit of time this morning. Hopefully you've got pins somewhere around you in the chairs or whatever, but I just want you to take a moment and I want you to reflect on those, those places in your life where you might be prone to doubt the scope and reach of God's promise for you. Maybe areas in your life where you're struggling to, to form your identity a, around his table, around what he is going to accomplish on your behalf. And you can use this however you like, but I want you to write at the very bottom of this card, I just want you to write, the promise is for me. The promise is for me, because this is really, the, the, the table is a place where we exchange, right? Where we take these doubts and these struggles and we lay it down and we're reminded that when Jesus took the bread and he took the cup, that he said to his disciples, this is, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. He tells us to take in remembrance of him. So Eric and our worship team is, is just gonna provide some background music as we think and reflect, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table. This card is something that you can keep. You can put it in your Bible. It's meant just to be a reflection of doubt. If you, By the way, if you didn't receive the elements this morning when you come in, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will bring that to you um, if you need that this morning. And then just a few moments, um, I'm going to return and I will lead us in the, the receiving of the elements this morning. Take a moment just to, to meet with Jesus. Following Jesus doesn't mean that, that we won't fall away. In fact, Every single one of the disciples, to one degree or another, uh, did fall away. But that does not prevent Jesus from proclaiming Passover promise to his disciples. This is for you. Jesus took that bread and he said, this bread is my body. My body given for you as you eat this bread be reminded of his sacrifice. This is the body of Christ given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of him. And he took the cup. 
He said this cup is a covenant promise, which they, they knew, they understood that, but he said it's, it's a new promise. It's the promise of my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This cup is for you. Take and drink in remembrance of him. I hope you put these cards somewhere that when you're, when you're doubting that if, if God's reach, if his scope of his love is, is, is for you, just so you can flip it over, remind yourself of that promise that, that this, is, this is for me and that you experience that anew. I want to remind you as you leave today, we'll have some of our um, shepherds, uh, or our, um, Mary, what are you guys called? Stevens ministers that just yeah escaped my mind right then out in the lobby if you'd like to talk to them Mary and Karen are here they both serve in that that ministry as well um, and would love to answer any questions that you have our generosity boxes are uh, by the back doors if you came prepared to give this morning um, it's always your generosity means so much and it's going so far uh, for his kingdom purposes and we're so thankful that you're a part of this community. Don't forget to hang out, get some coffee, sign up for lunch next week. Let us know you'll be here. We're looking forward to that as well. And now receive this morning's benediction. Go now in the name of Jesus Christ. Our Passover lamb, the substitutionary sacrifice whose blood just covers us. And we are set free. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.